Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. Follow me at the Dan Urban. Follow the podcast at Couchside Judges and subscribe to us wherever you listen. And if you like the show, give us that five-star review. And maybe we have new listeners. It really helps. And as always, we taught judging in MMA, so head on over to abcboxing.com and read the criteria. Dan, we have a very special show. Yes, this, this is. week. This is this is like the show that we've been kind of not I don't want to say building up to, but like man, we've been we've been looking forward to the chance to sit down mm-hmm. and learn with trained officials in the room and go through a training course for judging, for refereeing. We've been wanting to do this you and I. I mean, way longer than this show has been around. We've been talking about going to command going back 10 years, 11 years. It's been a long time. (laughs) It's a long time coming. And we finally did it. We finally did it. We made it. We went through the course. We don't know if we passed or not yet. The results are pending. Uh, But it was a really cool experience to to go up to the Association of Boxing Commissions Conference uh, and experience the judge and referee training over the weekend before the conference started in earnest with the uh, with the commission officials and stuff, which I also stayed for. Um, what was your take on the experience, man? Because you were only there over the weekend, of course. But what was your take on the experience? Uh, I, I enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually sitting in a room at a table, basically in a seminar setting. Uh, Last thing you want to do. Is typically something you're probably going to zone out at. I was, I was kind of hooked the whole time. Yeah. I didn't. There was no zoning out. This was a subject that was... Very in tune for so sure, sure. So I think that I think the subject and I think the the instructors were great. They you know they kept everyone hooked, kept it kept it moving, answered questions with great detail, and was, and and especially uh, it was stressed on the referee training on Saturday, the first day, uh, by the the head instructor of the class, Blake Grice, who's a, a referee. Uh, based on, based largely, he works kind of all over the place, I guess. But you know, he's from all over the place, all yeah. over the place. But you, you often see him when you do see him. I think you probably often see him at like the major shows. It would be in California, as he he frequently works out of there too. But he works everywhere. I mean, he was saying how how he what was it like forty five trips to the Middle East? He, he, yeah, he worked out there he was too. Only, like the only one willing to actually yeah. go out there. Yeah, was involved in a riot or something. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a wild story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The, the there was an interesting story about that, but um, and, and again, what I want to stress about that is he he wanted to create a safe space where everybody can kind of talk about everything, and that that included maybe some uh either either mistakes or or learned lessons, whether it be from you know error or from you know good experience or learning from others and everything like that. So we won't share details of that. Uh, we'll respect uh Blake's wishes there because he was a, an excellent trainer uh, alongside Jaron Vallel. Uh, who was who was also assisting in the in the training of that uh, that course? Um, that was that was a terrific course. And then of course the judging was the next day, right? With with Kevin McDonald leading the way, uh, noted referee and and, and also judges, uh, and Sal D'Amato, who you know some some of you may have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> some of you may have heard of Sal D'Amato, the the the, the hardest working, uh, let's say traveling judge. Probably in the business, he's at all the UFC shows. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to um, discredit some of the amazing of traveling around the country that a lot of these other judges and, re- and referees do as well. But yeah, I mean, when you think of fights being judged and 
For some people, maybe it's it's not such a good thing they think of, but nonetheless, there is one judge you think of, and it is Sal D'Amato. And I think you should be thinking of him in the positive. So that's, oh, that's just my two cents. Yeah. Um, so obviously, that, that was a wonderful experience. We I think both of us got to meet some interesting people, too. That were yeah. that were aspiring judges or or experienced judges or referees, you know, or spying referees, no, nascent referees, and early in their novice would be the real word I should use because they separated, of course, the referee course into novice, which is where we sat because we were most mm-hmm. definitely novice, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then I think it was referees with at least three years of experience. Three years ago. went over to the advanced course. So what they did was a little different than what we did, um, but we got to meet so many different people who were hungry to do this and learn. And yeah. I think a lot of them came away the same way we did. It was like, we learned so much, you know? It, a lot of a lot of eye-opening experiences for people, even who came in with, like, preconceived notions. They come in and, and their whole world has changed. Kind of like what we had early on in our show in talking with Rob Hines, in talking with Kevin McDonald. Yeah, this was this was pretty awesome. I mean, they there was guys and girls in, in the... Uh, men and women. Men and... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, in the courses that... Have actually sat in the chair or been refereeing there, and uh, it was good to see them you know, brushing up on their skills. There's just so much to learn. There was like I think I think Blake and Jaron have like forty years combined experience. That that sounds about right. Yeah, I think so. I think Blake had yeah I think each of them had close to two decades right. right so they yeah. combined yeah. Um, and it's it was just wonderful to learn from them. They were they were very honest. They were um, and it was I think that's important for especially. You know, we're we're just there as media to learn, um, and we're, we weren't the only media. It was you and me, uh, and and of course Aaron Bronsteader of TSN uh, and Jay Petrie from SureDog. The four of us were were the the media wing of the referee and judge training. Yes, um, and it was. I think everybody came away so. Um, I don't, well, I can't speak for the two of them, of course, and I can't even speak for you, but at least for me, and I, I think they would agree that this was just a, a fantastic, very like necessary learning experience for media members such as uh, such as ourselves. Positive experience. Positive experience. All right, Dan, why don't we kind of get into it, though? Let, let's get into our ABC judging training experience first. Uh, judging is obviously our thing, even though it happened on the second day. I think that's that's the area of focus of this show, right? Yeah, of course. So I think we should dive into there, uh, dive into what we learned from Kevin McDonald and Sal D'Amato, right? So mm-hmm. obviously we came in with... I don't want, I don't want to be too uh, cocky or something like that, but we came in with an understanding of how judges do things because mm-hmm. we've spoken with officials so many times, not because we think we know, but we've had the benefit of um, officials speaking to us both on this show and, and fortunately as resources that we can reach out to um, privately with interesting, you know, hopefully um, helpful questions to help us teach. But we still came into this, at least I did, and I think you did too, came into this with the idea that we're going to learn things. Yeah. We know we're going to learn things. We're excited to learn things. So what I would pose to you, Dan, is what is the thing that stuck with you the most that you learned that you didn't already know? That I didn't already yeah. know. Okay. Hmm. Or maybe you, even if it was you didn't already know, maybe you just had a better understanding of than you maybe did before. Anything like that. What do you got? Uh, you know, I, I did not know. Uh, the scorecard procedure varies from uh, commission to commission. That right. if a point is deducted, that's done by the scorekeeper in some commissions. Where you would just write the score, say, say the winning fighter lost a point, mm-hmm. so it would be a nine-nine round. You don't write nine-nine; you would write ten-nine, and then the scorekeeper in some jurisdiction, uh, some commissions would 
take care of the point sure. deduction. Sure. And of course, the commissions are going to, they're not always going to be on the same page, even even if we would like them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, something like that is is just procedural and that doesn't have a great effect on on things outside of the just who's adding up the math right but Mm -hmm. but one would think that it it makes a lot more sense for the judges to not have to account for the points being deducted right if there i mean maybe some commissions don't have a scorekeeper position right Mm -hmm. that's entirely possible some commissions are very small and you just don't know what they have and it could be on a given night even i don't know but yeah that that was that was interesting and i think i kind of always suspected that just because sometimes you when i see these scorecards that are turned in or presented or whatever, they, they sometimes look a little different. And I don't know if that's maybe them reading too far into it, but I, I, I kind of wondered about that myself. So that was good. That was a good thing. They well, yeah. To. When, when you, when you share um, photos from like PFL mm-hmm. or, and it's one scorecard, it's one piece of paper with three different judges info on there. So right. Someone's translating. Someone is transcribing. transcribing correct. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but the, there are also times where I will request, you know, let's say older scorecards mm-hmm. from commissions, and not only will they provide me with those write-ups, but they'll provide me with the original cards. Okay. So that's the thing. I've I've seen some things oh. that maybe some other people don't always get to see. Yeah. Because it's not something they do they would need to share, right? Right. Unless you were trying to, you know, fact check one against the other mm-hmm. because you weren't sure or something like that. But you know, anytime I've ever seen it, mm-hmm. it matched. So that wasn't that's not that wasn't ever why I was yeah. reaching out and hoping to get. I it was always like, oh, look at that, I get that too. Um, um, so I yeah, I, I've seen some things, you know, I've seen some things. Man. I mean, again, <laughs> the only fight I can really remember where there was kind of a scoring error was, was, uh, Ian McCall and, and Demetrius Johnson where, uh, where they couldn't clean it up later. I mean, there have been times where it's either been you know announced wrong. And I think right, there, yeah. I think there have been, that's like the most high profile one because yeah. that actually affected an important fight and, right. and the way it was interpreted and actually the way they handled it. Because if they knew it was a draw, they would have gone to a, Fourth. uh, a yeah. for what a sudden victory round or whatever yeah. they would call it. Yeah. Cause they wanted the tournament. They wanted to get a winner out of that. And somehow through the magic of, uh, miss edition. <laughs> That's not a word. We'll go with it. Uh, they ended up having the exact thing they wanted to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but nonetheless, uh, that was that was interesting for me though. The the one thing that I was uh, that that really kind of opened my eyes a lot more in the way we need to look at, especially dominance when we're evaluating rounds, is something that was said by uh, by Judge Damato. And what he shared with us was something that I guess I've kind of gotten mixed uh, responses for this from from different people, like whether it is an actual official thing in the rules or if it's something that's more of a best practice or or kind of like a an unofficial thing that they 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 now interpret as far as the dominance. Um, But what but it was said was and the exact wording was that the positional control alone is not considered dominance. It has to have a fight-ending action. So the way I believe we're supposed to interpret that, Dan, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that let's say you get to side control, right? Or even all the way to the back mount. Mm -hmm. If you get there and you're just holding on to the back like a backpack and you're not even getting remotely close to any submissions and you're not landing any strikes that are effective... Mm-hmm. That is not dominance in and of itself, right? That's that's how I get, read that. Do you read that too? That that was my interpretation. Yeah. So from you got, it. I mean, you can you can get a dominant position, but if you just hang out there, are you you're really dominant? Right. So and that that lines up with some fights that I've seen too over time, where it's like 
what are they supposed to do in this situation where he just gets to the back? It's a, it's a clearly a dominant position, but nothing is coming from it and nothing is being attempted to, but nothing is taken away because, you know, it's hard to take away that position and stand them up from that, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, that that definitely changed the way that I would look at dominance when I'm checking so, off. You know a round that stands out to me? Hmm. And it's, it's, what do you got? It's from, like, the first event that I, like, started watching. Like when, ever, like in that in that area, Randy Couture versus Tim Sylvia round one. Oh yeah, that was the big one for so you. So yeah, he he gets the back and he's on the back for the entire. Well, he gets kind round. of like a knockdown, right? Early. He gets a knockdown and they he ends up grabbing the back, but he does nothing at all. He's not even attempting chokes really. Right. And in that fight, all three judges were unanimous ten nine mm-hmm. on that one. So now, of course, this is in a different era of that scoring. Was a long time Everything's ago, very different. It's kind of hard to go back to some of those rounds and compare I, them, right? I think that's a round where you can look at and say, okay, that. This jives with that. Maybe it really is a nine in, in today's world as opposed to the eight because a knockdown, even though, you know, it's how hurt was Tim Sylvia? How long was he hurt? I mean, was there a match followed up? Not really, if I recall. I haven't watched that fight in a little while. Right, but he doesn't He doesn't have a body triangle, which we learned is is worth more, essentially. Well, that I that I had kind of books. always understood, so, yeah, but but that was, that was something that I think was definitely mentioned. And, I mean, just, just should, to hear it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. To, especially for, I think, a lot of people in the room that may not think about that, right? Mm-hmm. They may not think about the value of a body triangle as, as damaging. I've, I've spoken to officials in the past who who really, they would stress to you that absolutely that is damaging, mm-hmm. and they would point to Damian Maya winning uh, with a body triangle, yes. right? So, And that's evidence. That really is evidence, too. It makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's a good point too, but yeah, the, really for me it was it was just that to hear that to hear that clarification of dominance, uh, being that you gotta you've gotta make sure that there are fight ending actions as well, you know, or th- actions that are leading toward the end of a fight is right. something I should really yeah. be more clear about in what I mean. You know, effective striking, effective grappling. So we're talking about submissions. We're talking about you know strikes landing that could potentially lead to the end of the fight, yeah. not just pitter patter. Trying to finish. Mm-hmm. And that that is of course the 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 stressor here is is the actions need to be trying to finish. So like if you're if you're doing the pitter patters, you're doing kind of annoying strikes, or <laughs> go all the way back to like foot stomps, right? You know these yeah. these aren't fight ending <laughs> actions. They're not graded very heavily at all. But another thing that stuck out that was said to me or said to us, excuse me, said to everybody in the room, was that all actions have value. Yes, that that was another thing that stuck out for me is the fact that all actions have value. So what that means is that, yeah, okay, you have the takedown, right? Maybe maybe it's a maybe it's a little dump, uh, dump single leg or something like that where they it's not there's not really impact to the takedown. You land in guard. It's a neutral position, by the way, guard that is taught as a neutral position. Yeah. So maybe UFC stats uh, can uh, stop. Tallying control time control just because the guy's the on guard. top. Yeah, exactly. That 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 is something that really ought to be revisited. One would think uh, that would take a that would take a lot of time for them to go back over that though. Good luck to whoever would have that job. <laughs> They're not going to bother. I know they won't. Um, <laughs> but but the the idea of that little dump takedown into a neutral position, you can't ignore it entirely. It has value, very little value, probably, mm-hmm. but there is value to it. The change of position. It's not something you say you ignore. I think sometimes we have gotten caught up in saying you ignore it, right? That's not what yeah. it is, but it's it, yeah. it's more it's not negligible, it. but it it's very low there. You know, once once you start getting you know, maybe some actions that are doing anything in in the way of you know trying to further one's path to the end of the fight to winning mm-hmm. the fight, 
uh, stopping the fight in particular, that's where you start really adding value up. So it's it, it's kind of just a minor little action, right? For right, tallying yeah. in your in your head. Yeah. So say say around absolutely nothing happens, and someone lands a that last minute that last second takedown does nothing with it. Mm-hmm. That fighter wins the round. Yeah. Based on effective grappling and striking, doesn't move to the other two criteria, which was stressed to us. Yes. Basically, that was the most important question on the test. Yes. Knowing the criteria. No. And and the, and the way it. One would think that would be the most important question the pri- on the test. And the, pri- <laughs> and the prioritized uh, in the in the order. In the prioritized yeah. order. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Uh, to to know where the primary is and to know that you only go to the next if it's sec- you know the secondary level uh, effective aggressiveness if that everything is truly equal and realistically from experience uh from someone like sal d'amato said he's never gone to that level it's yeah it's just it's just not it's just not something that really gets considered it's it, it, there are so few fights that they could do he did say if you're gonna do it pretty much and i think it was even mentioned if you were in a different state mm. that maybe if it wasn't nevada you might have seen carlos Sparza and rose mama okay. go there right yeah, uh, but they—I mean—they were kind of also saying that effective aggressiveness kind of would lead you into being able to pick a winner based on effective striking and grappling. Sure, because the way the way it's set up, you mm-hmm. know, you should be able to to find someone there. Yeah, exactly. That that was that was also stressed very clearly that like realistically, there's still yeah, you know, it was it was, was they said like three strikes to four or whatever the you're numbers right, yeah. ended up being, and and mm-hmm. that was that was stressed like okay, you can even still see a difference there if you're right. even if you're just gonna go by the numbers, mm-hmm. you know. But judges, of course, don't really go by the numbers. However, in a fight like that where there's so few things happening, it's a lot easier to count it. Yeah, isn't it? Lot, yeah, yeah. That you know that was cool. He goes, yeah, count count all count all the strikes in this round, and I think it was uh Dan uh, Don Fry and uh. Oh yeah, and, and, and Brian Takayama. Yeah, yeah. So were they just hockey fights? <laughs> just a hockey fight. Yeah, there there was some there were some really interesting scenarios they kind of showed to really illustrate, like put yourself in a judge's uh, uh, chair. And mm-hmm. one thing that they they also taught was the idea that there are different ways for you to kind of keep track of a fight in your head, right? Mm-hmm. So one of them, and this I think this is the one that you've mentioned before, knowing that John McCarthy has said, right? Mm-hmm. It was the kind of the pendulum or the tug of war, the tug of war, yeah, a, a similar. It's like my fi- well, there are four, yeah, and there's, those are yeah. two of them already. So yeah. a, a similar way of tug of war is my finger starts in the middle, and then blues on the left of the middle line, and reds on the right, or wh- however you have it, and then you just slide your finger slightly with each effective well, offense that happens. Well, not just until... necessarily slightly. It's it's like it's is it the little tug or the big right, tug yeah. based on how yeah. little big, or big the shots yeah. are, or or winds of exchanges are landed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. High impact's gonna get a little bit more of a a, a push. Yep. To one side or the yeah, other, exactly, so. exactly. So that was one. The pendulum was one, like kind of swinging yeah. one way or the other. The scales of justice. The scale of justice. That was with putting coins on each right. side. Yeah. I feel like I don't do any of those like in my head, like in that true visual. But like the closest one for me in the way that I tend to watch fights was probably that scale where I'm like placing an action on one side or the other, mm-hmm. and it's kind of starting to weigh down based on that. Right. Um, these were interesting visuals. Uh, the, the four of them were taught. Fascinating. Honestly, you know, as we're kind of summarizing. We're not really trying to go deep into the course because we can't explain it better than Kevin McDonald could, uh, who who speaks very plainly. Uh, is he is? Um, I don't want to say he's no nonsense because he's 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 got a good sense of humor. Um, he he could be a funny guy. He doesn't. Not, he's not trying to like crack you up, but he's he he speaks plain. He speaks clear. 
did he, not he did not need the microphone. He was, no, he no. was very very clear and, and loud. Yes. Uh but you know, still had the microphone just uh just for a little extra. It it is nice to have that microphone. So. And, and uh, I would say from my time covering the actual conference itself from Monday through Wednesday, um certain individuals think that they're loud enough that everyone in the room can hear them without a microphone. They are incorrect. <laughs> They, they're I loud be, individuals and you can kind of hear them as long as they're looking in your direction and if I, you can't it's a giant room and you can't hear a thing i think that that's probably me i'd fit in that category where i think i'm talking loud enough but i no, you would take the microphone i would no i would take the microphone right. for sure but i'm right. saying i could also see myself thinking i don't need it oh yeah and You're then start wrong. talking yeah, see, oh, yeah. i i can i think i could probably project my voice better than you mm-hmm. i i i <laughs> fellow parents when i'm trying to uh I'm not shout to my children, but trying to get their attention from across a, let's say, a, a, a large playground. They they tend to admire or or at least uh, marvel, I guess is probably the better word for it. They marvel at my ability to project and like, they're like, wow, you can get over there. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Boys, you know, I get a little b- bass in my in my voice when I'm trying to get ahead of them. Um, <laughs> but, and I miss my boys. I haven't seen them in a while because I've been away in, uh, in Niagara and they're out in Queens, so. Um, Terrible drive up. I, I, I oh, that's right. We we didn't mention the fact that yes. Yeah, so Dan drove from our corner of New Jersey, uh, the Meadowlands, kind of New York City, and we drove through, all the way across New Jersey into Pennsylvania and up through New York over to, through Syracuse and kind of east over into Buffalo, Canada. Niagara. It was not Canada. We stopped short. We don't have any. Pre- we didn't bring our passports. Uh, but unfortunately, if I brought my passport, I actually could have crossed over into the Niagara, the Canada side of Niagara Falls, and seen the falls from that side. But I'd already seen it, so that wasn't the big deal. I mean, I'm not a sightseer. I went to Niagara Falls and did not see the falls. But you were also so, you 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 set yourself a very tight schedule where all right, I'm gonna come up. We were up. We were we arrived late. It was nighttime. We we went out and hung out with uh, with Aaron Bronstetter. Yep. TSN. Uh, one wonderful time hanging out with Aaron. He's 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 a fascinating guy, and he he knows his stuff with his sport. And it was cool to kind of learn his background more, um, and and to see that he was able to bring this knowledge and this experience to his platform as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, we got there late. Morning comes. We we got the class, the the referee class. It ends at four thirty, and then I start my other work shift. And and you were tired as heck, so you kind of just passed out. Yes, I did. <laughs> and then the next day we have it again. We we'll go through the judging, and pretty much at the end of that, you're like, "Well, guess I'm going home." So there was no time for you, even if you wanted to. Right. You know, never. You know, if you didn't pass out. So yeah, that... <laughs> tired man. Hey, you drove a lot. I I do not fall you. Do you do know how tiring you, those speed bumps were? <laughs> You did not like the speed. Bumps uh, you know yet. what I think it was. I think on it was you know Route eighty one, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, I think they have underground uh, electricity, and I think that, I'm, that's I'm probably where they were taking. No, yeah. absolutely, that's what it was. And it's where all these patches—they're not real speed so. bumps, but every time, every, pretty much every like, what was it, twenty feet? Twenty feet for yeah. like ten miles. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very long time, and every boom, boom, bum, boom, bum, boom, bum, boom. Bum, it wasn't bum. a bump though. You didn't have to slow down. You were still going highway yeah. speed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Shocks didn't care for But it. you, yeah. <laughs> you get wheel, getting a, a wheel alignment? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's, let's get back. Yeah, getting it. back, of yeah. course. We were getting off topic. Um, the, it was really great to see just how many people had showed up for this, in particular, the, the judging. In particular, the, yeah. Judging was not handled with separate people. It was, you know, you were in the same room, hearing the same lesson, the same experience. You were getting the same teaching that other highly experienced judges who were in the room were yeah. guys like Mike Bell, um, Adelaide Bird. Um, who else are we talking to? Marcel Varela. Marcel Varela, yeah, Queen Queens guy. Um, 
local guy for Mike us, Beltran. right? Mike Beltran, uh, Brian Miner, Jaron you know, Vallel. Jaron Vallel, absolutely. Um, just, just a lot of highly experienced people sitting in the same room as a couple media people like us, uh, a couple, you know, aspiring or, or you know, novice again to use that word, judges uh, who are looking to make their way in the world and 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 hopefully, you know, help the sport. It's just mm-hmm. kind of the goal, right? We we got to hear some nice stories of people who were really trying to do stuff. You know, some people who had been fighters before this, some people who hadn't. You know. Everyone's just trying to to learn and take the knowledge back and 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 help, right? Yeah, for sure. So that was that was a really cool thing, and and we have to mention Dean Thomas. Dean Thomas, yes. So Dean Thomas, we knew he was coming up. We had heard he was coming up for this, and that was kind of cool to hear that. You know, not only a former fighter uh, and a coach, but somebody who works on the UFC broadcast team. He went all the way to the trouble of coming up to the ABC commission in Niagara Falls, New York from his home in Florida. So he had to fly and he had to, I think he had a connecting flight in Charlotte. Yeah. Well, this flight was canceled and he was going to miss it, but he said, no, I'm going to drive up from Charlotte in a rental car, 12 hours overnight, starting around midnight the night before the judging course and drove all the way up and made it to Niagara from Charlotte in a rental car, basically on no sleep. I think he said he, he kind of pulled over or something like that. I forget exactly what he said, but he he made a point to get at least just a little bit of a wink in there, right? And uh, he made it over for the judging. And when we were all on a break, it was just about when he showed up, it was about an hour break for lunch. Uh, Kevin McDonald and Sal D'Amato, they, they more or less caught him up in a, in a personalized training uh, format for him, which was, which was good that they were able to do uh, because he did come all that way. And I think he came away with with eyes wide open, saying, "Wow, look at this! This is this mm-hmm. is great information. This is it." I couldn't speak for Dean, but in the brief conversation I was I had with him and and overheard uh, being in the group with him, that was that was the impression I came away with. And he spoke about it too in uh, his time speaking about open scoring on Monday in, in the in the commission. But we'll I'll get to that part later on. But just the fact that he was there too, that was really great. Yeah. That was that was awesome that he he was so committed to uh to being part of this training that he would do that because that's a long ride. And then and another thing that they they to get kind of back to the judging itself, the training course itself, what what was preached to us. They one thing that that was a priority and a pre, like a prerequisite that you would have to do on the test that we took was knowing submissions, this knowing was, positions, know, this, knowing all these things, especially for judges and referees. Really, this was a, a huge portion of the test. This was a huge part of refereeing and judging. Like you got to know submissions, and and the best way to do that would be to, to you know get in a grappling school. And look, that's kind of a no brainer, so, right? You would think, but like understand if you didn't know that this is something that they actually legitimately really care about. It's it's it, true. It, this is a big big part. It is. We you got to know if it, there's an, a legit attack. You got to know if this is is this how close is it? Is this a, is is this person really in trouble or, or are they just kind of you know holding out here sure there's no cooking them no real danger yeah very very important we got to for the refereeing portion there was the hands-on right but but also on the judging test we had to we were all presented with images of and i won't spoil what they are but we were presented with images of submissions and submission attacks and we had to say what's going on here and positions positions uh we saw clips of submission attempts and look i will say the one thing i will say is some of them 
I knew the fight they were from right away. I got excited. I knew exactly what they were. I I got excited in particular for one of them. So (laughs) I'll leave it at that. Um, But a few of them, I was just like, oh, that? Yeah, I know what that is. I I haven't done it yet, but I know what it is. (laughs) I did apparently get one wrong, though. Uh, I think maybe I just jumped the gun uh, and wrote down the wrong thing. So I feel bad about that one. But nonetheless, um, (laughs) I I think I did pretty well. We don't know our results, like I said. But 85% of, of the tests right is what passes for the judging i think yeah we, unless you get that one question wrong that's right there and was then, like a 99.9 percent of people are going to fail if they get this one wrong was yeah. what kevin mcdonald told people so right yeah um but the bottom line was for people you know just pay attention when you take this course like really pay attention really learn there's a lot to it um you kind of just go through the document step by step and really explain things really hammered home uh different points of view different perspectives sure that was a big portion, it, I I think. And we've talked about this, too. Yeah, but, we but have. Yeah. But, I mean, it was hammered home. There was a lot of people in the room. There's a lot of people who don't listen to the Couchside Judges yeah. podcast. We, I mean, I really enjoyed the portion where we would watch around and then we'd debate between the room. I really thought that was a good, cool exercise. Yeah, there was a few rounds they would show us, and we'd have to say, okay, what is this round? And, you know, who raise your hand, who had it nine, who had it eight, or who had it, you know, blue, who had it red? And we would talk about why, and... and in some cases, there wasn't necessarily a correct answer. In some cases, there there more or less was a, a, an answer that would be preferable, mm-hmm. right? We saw in action what a 10-7 really ought to look like. And that was another thing. The The idea of how you evaluate a 10-7 was made a lot clearer to me um, okay. in particular, was the, was the idea that overwhelming dominance, overwhelming damage, overwhelming duration... That's what it needs to be to get there, which obviously is a high bar. Um, but when it's overwhelming, that is the difference than just a simple right. 10-8. Right. And, and and fight doesn't have to be could have been stopped is, is kind of gone. Yeah, right? Absolutely. That The language is That's... that is gone from that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because that was kind of throwing the refs under, right? I think under the bus a little bit. That's what I had always thought. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know if that was why it was removed or not. Maybe it was, but... Um, Either way, it, it's the idea that you don't have to watch a fight until the point it's uncomfortable. I guess you, when you when it is uncomfortable, that probably is a good indicator that it's it ought to be crossing into the ten seven. I I, I guess, yeah. but that doesn't right. that's not what the requirement is. There's no language in there that says when you feel like this ain't right, put down the seven. Yeah, <laughs> that, would, that would be fun language. I should do that. It's like if this if you're low after watching this, like uh, something wrong here, mm-hmm. then you, <laughs> you put down the yeah, seven. Yeah, if, if, if a fighter is too something. tough for his own good, but that is not that is not actually <laughs> no. what the criteria is for that. But no, it's it's overwhelming dominance, damage, mm-hmm. and duration e- over each of them being overwhelming. So the the only example the example that was given for us was one that uh, Judge D'Amato had actually assigned a 10-7 score to when he watched this and scored it live uh, that night, and that was round four of Max Holloway against Brian Ortega. So if there, if that's, that is what is now being taught as the standard for what a 10-7 really, really right. kind of should be. Yeah, and so, you, sp- you spoke about that. I did. And up in front, basically saying, well, I'm not going to use your words, you say it. I don't remember what I said. You you said if if not this <laughs> you said if not this round then what? Yes, absolutely. Right. That that is something that I kind of so. th- th- that's what occurred to me is like it, what what's the argument against uh, what are you looking for a 107 to be? If you're arguing against this this particular round because I see overwhelming damage, 
<laughs> I think we can all agree that overwhelming damage had occurred to Brian Ortega in yes. the five minutes of round four of that fight against Max Holloway. Uh, we see overwhelming dominance, which dominance was kind of described as like outclassing your opponent. Right. Yeah. Right? E- even though even though Ortega is throwing strikes back, they're not doing anything to Max. These have nothing on them. Sure. Sure. And and so. and outclassing again is is kind of the thing here. It's not grappling dominance. There is grappling dominance. Mm-hmm. We're outclassing your opponent on the ground, but just the idea that you're outclassing your opponent that 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 word in particular kind of stuck with me too uh just the idea of outclassing being kind of a a benchmark for that and that and if i would say yes he was over he was overwhelmingly outclassing max holloway or excuse me max holloway was overwhelmingly outclassing brian ortega and then the duration of it this happened bill to bell is that not overwhelming i mean there's even a part i mean where and this is famous, where Max is, you know, teaching him a defense to a yeah. to a strike mid round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, but but you know the there just the fact that it's it's bell to bell, consistent bell to bell. There's not really a time where Max just says, ah, "I'm I'm going to take my foot off the gas." So he keeps coming, he keeps coming. But Brian Ortega is just too tough for his own good. Basically, yeah. Uh, Max to is take like, it, I got to get through this portion of the highway with all the speed bumps. I'm just pressing the gas. Get through it. And what happened? Not stopping. And what happened at the at the end of that round, of course, we know. The fight was stopped. Yes. The fight they didn't continue after that round. Um that was a that was a good indicator of maybe this really was a ten seven. So I, I feel like hindsight being what it is, especially we can look at that. Now I was speaking with um one of the, one of the uh people who came up from, from Texas, uh I'll, I'll leave names out because I, I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily, you know, throw anybody out there who's not asking for it, right? But uh, an individual who we spent a, a decent amount of time with uh, when we were down, uh, up there in Niagara, um, nice, nice folks from Texas. But one of them in particular, I was having this conversation about this particular round, and they weren't really sure if this should really be a ten-seven. And kind of part of it was, well, if you give that, you're just saying the other guy loses, right? And to that, I I can understand what the case is there right what what is the sentiment behind that but one thing i pointed out in this particular round in this particular instance is the fact that this was round four of a fight that max holloway had already won the first three rounds of mm-hmm. so if it was a 10-9 it's 40 to 36 you can't win on the cards anymore right. so what's the point why why can't we just call this a seven it doesn't really matter in that sense because why don't we just call it what it really is i also feel it's not it's not the official's job to make sure the fighter still has a chance. Sure, sure, absolutely, so, and, and I, I think that's something that's that's a fault that I actually have in general with kind of the criteria is this idea that you don't want to give out too many ten eights because it's like I can't really come back from a ten eight. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I mean, shoot, what we're saying here is that we want to be okay with a, a very great round that's not ten eight worthy getting the same score as two slim rounds because we want someone to be able to win two slim rounds to overcome a really great round. And I just, I don't think that ends up with winners that represent the fight. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm not really a big fan of that. Um, and that's not coming from any one individual. That's essentially the message from the ABC, you know, with the scoring being the way it is, which is why we're such big proponents of the idea of stretching out the scoring, giving more eights, uh, allowing sevens to kind of re- replace the eights in frequency where it's about 5% of the time, maybe 20% of the time you get eights. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and one thing that was brought up, we, we can talk about it later in, in more general, but there is the, the scoring ladder document that was released on Monday during Andy Foster's presentation uh, for, you know, rules changes and that kind of thing. This wasn't a rules change, but it was a document they had developed, a big graphic that explained very explicitly, actually, that nearly 95% 
of rounds are going to be scored a 10-9 and, you know, about 5% are going to be a, or less than 5% are going to be 10-8. So I don't know. I don't know why it's nearly 95 and less than 5 because we're still not getting to 100 as if there's going to be 10-7s and 10-10s, which there really aren't. <laughs> I don't, it's kind of funny that it was worded that way. But Yeah, oh, there is one thing that I remember about what? regarding 10-10s. Yes. Uh, they're typically... The, their main priority use is for pr- uh, partial rounds. Yes, absolutely. That w- that was actually spelled out explicitly on the training document that w- we have as well. But it's not. Right. It's like it's really not explained that well. Right. But here. But I also elsewhere we, we were told, say a fighter lands a heavy right in the first ten seconds of the round, then then that that next two seconds the fight someone gets poked in the eye and they call off the fight. Right. You can still give a 10-9 because of that one strike. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so. Because it says explicitly in the criteria that mm-hmm. if it's even by one technique, right. that you can give the round. So, oh. yeah, that that is that absolutely rings true. It's not just, oh, it's a partial round, it's a 10-10. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's a round that ended really early, it's a 10 and You can get there through evaluation of that. And, and, you know, not for nothing, if somebody is... And they, and they did outline as well the idea of what effective aggressiveness and, and cage control are. But one thing, and Kevin Kevin McDonald's kind of talked about this uh, with us too, is just the idea that you know, don't you kind of have aggressiveness if you're, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. everything's kind of cyclical and that kind of thing. So it's, it's almost there are differences, of course. But again, in practice, even Sal Lamano said he's never given out a round based on that. You know, mm-hmm. he's been doing this a very long time. He he'd been judging kickboxing all the way back to what 1992. 92. Yeah, he's been judging combat sports for 30 years and MMA. I think he said it was going back to like 2003 i believe was right, what he said yeah. i wrote it down and my notes are at my house instead of here right, at our recording studio fighter was starting around that time so that was 05 that. that was a 05 bit, but he so. did say a little before okay that's what he used as his uh time benchmark okay benchmark yeah but nonetheless we're talking about you know the 17 18 19 years somewhere in that range it's a long time he's been judging this sport um and and he's kept up with the times you know mm-hmm. he's he's teaching it in a way that seems consistent with what they want in the course of what they're training officials and and to the document itself yeah he's, really these two are just a wealth of knowledge I mean, this whole this whole weekend was just so much information I, it was it so. was and i and i can't stress enough just how important it is for media if, if if you're any of my media peers that are listening to this like you really owe it to yourself to go to a training course of some sort you know there's one in texas coming up would you say august 27 28 and 28 it's the and it's it's the same course it's the same course being taught and i know that there has been a uh, a point been made to get all of the people who train this teaching the exact same thing they may teach it in a different manner but it's the same slides it's the same things that they're presenting so that everybody is still learning it in the same way there's there's a bigger push for uniformity all over the place yeah that would that would be pretty cool yeah yeah that, that was something i actually learned uh earlier today um at the last day of the commission uh or conference excuse me mm. um is there anything else you wanted to kind of add to judging before we moved on to to refereeing Dan? judging no just i would i would just like you said have if you get an opportunity to go to one of these courses uh i would go uh, it's, and so. oh my gosh coaches, coaches please coaches you can help your fighters you can help them in such a big way just by knowing what it is the judges actually want and not what you think they want based on what either had been done a long time ago or what has been said on the UFC broadcasts. And the UFC broadcast team has, they've made efforts to, to learn more. They, they have spoke with, you know, officials. They, they had their training session. I, my understanding is it went very well. Uh, you, ho- you only hear 
seem, seemingly good things coming out of the the commentaries commentators, excuse me, as well about how it went. Felder on last night on on Contender Series seemed uh, a bit more knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah, about it. So I didn't watch Contender Series, yeah. so as I often don't. I mean, but, I mean, I still, I still would hope for the commentators to you know, just analyze the fight. Uh, I mean, but, absolutely, but they should. Un- but if they're going to chime in regarding scoring, they should and have no- a better understanding. So. And nobody is hungrier to understand it than Laura Sanko. Mm-hmm. We've seen it publicly. I've heard it from officials as well. She is very hungry to make herself known as the person who understands the rules. And I am. Absolutely thrilled with the prospect of her getting to the point where they put her on UFC broadcast, not just Dana White Contender Series, because I think she would be just such an asset, not only to the UFC broadcast, but to the sport. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm rooting for her, but I'm rooting for her mission. You know, I, I, I'll stop short of, of saying I'm rooting in that kind of sense, but she's not a fighter anymore. You know, it's just what, what she's doing. I really applaud it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, she's uh she's a good ambassador for the sport. Absolutely, and and, and she'll be part of it hopefully for a very long time. Uh, but we can move on, I think, to refereeing, right? There, the, that was obviously a big part of this weekend as well, and and the part that you and I have much less knowledge of coming in Ain't than that the judging. Truth? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your two notebooks, right? You had they gave you the little um, pamphlet that you could take notes on from yeah. Seneca uh, Casino, from the casino and resort where it was. Uh, so Seneca Niagara and your your notes for judging are a little more sparse. You think you thought that they were you, th- you thought that you would take more. Notes, I thought right? I was taking more. You know, I took I took more pictures. Oh, OK. You took uh, pictures of slides yeah. and things. OK, yeah, I, I had also done that as well. Um, I left my notes at home, so they're no good to me here. I take I probably took slightly more notes on the judging just because I, I really wanted to understand it uh, even more because that is something mm-hmm. we talk about more. But nonetheless, I took a lot of notes in, in refereeing. I soaked in as much as i could there um what was your what was your come away especially from the refereeing course that maybe you weren't expecting or or just in general what did you come away with that there's certain things i was unaware of that referees do when the 10 second clacker goes off it's the referee's job to acknowledge it by just a point but the funny thing is they, and, they that was kind of something remember he, they had said that they, it was something they'd always just done right I suppose I don't. It was I, I, that was the kind of the set where they where not not that they don't acknowledge it, but that they all kind of do the little pointing okay. thing, right? I got, like, that I, particular I got thing, yeah. Okay. And it was something that, and that was another thing that was pointed out. It was like so much of this is like they watched Big John do something. They're like, mm-hmm. I guess we'll start doing that, and then they would watch John do something different, and they would observe. They study other referees and what they do and how they do it and why they do it, and they'd see him do something different. Like maybe when John used to come in and stop a fight, he would get his body in the way and kind of like push the fighter out of the way and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Big man, um, powerful man, able to do that. Knocking people down and maybe potentially getting somebody hurt. Stop doing that. And other officials saw that and they're like, well, John's not doing that. Maybe we should stop doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And that was fascinating. Just the idea that yeah. other people watch other people and learn from that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, no, but that, that reminded me of something. Yeah, so, and then if if the, the clock, Timekeeper doesn't get the uh, the signal. He would he would probably do it again. 
Yes. Until he gets that acknowledgement. Keep going, yeah. Which um, I don't think I've seen it, but I'm sure it happens right. on the regional scene. You know, maybe maybe you have an experienced uh, yeah, I'm actually, referee in there I'm, or something. I'm just speculating. I'm going to look out for it on Saturday because it's probably something you're really not focusing on. If he's not, if it maybe if the, the referee's not even in camera view when it happens. So I recommend you actually stop watching the fight entirely. Just watch the referee. Okay. <laughs> no, I understand. I, I, I totally get it. I'm I, I bet that's helpful. I, I'm, I'm totally joking. But like, I know, I know you actually are still interested in the idea of becoming a referee or a judge i would i would definitely more so judge but i mean i'm not throwing out the possibility of refereeing. don't close any doors right no. yeah um another thing that judges can um uh, referees can pull judges for maybe they didn't get a good view was that a headbutt or was that a clean punch that landed sure. what caused that cut that the doctor's checking out right now uh or was that an eye poke mm-hmm. stuff like that or the outside referee they can they can also pull which i, I was not aware of that mm-hmm that that was interesting to me too. I didn't know he, I don't think I had been familiar with the 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 phrase polling judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we learned that absolutely. That's a useful tool. That's a oh, really absolutely. and 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 it's necessary because how many times does a referee end up in just the wrong spot to see it because the action's moving around. It's it's hard for them to mm-hmm. stay where they need to be to see the best, like if they're on the wrong side, for example, just because the fights are moving around or maybe their stance switches and things, maybe they're on the wrong side for a low blow and they don't get to see that open stance as they would ideally be. You know, if it was right, you know, it, it, it's, it's something to consider. Yeah. They said, I think, I think they said the more tough it is when it's Orthodox versus Orthodox where they're, Correct. where they're in opposite stances. Yeah. If they're well, not opposite, but opposite view wise. They're both not open mm-hmm. to the referees. It's better if they're mirrored, right? That yeah, that's a better. It's, word. it's kind of the idea of it, yeah. yeah. So that that was that was pretty cool learning, you know, what position to be in. And stuff Absolutely, like that. and 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 of course they they stress that the referee is the sole arbiter. Oh yeah, in the cage. Mm-hmm. So it's not up to the judge to be like, hey, stop the fight, right? Even if they might want to, yeah, even if they yeah, even if they want to, so uh, it is them. entirely, and they know you know a good judge would know that of course and mm-hmm. I, don't, I imagine that's not something that comes up too often but yeah it's it is the referee's world in there you you are operating under his cage now i think we kind of knew that to some degree but it was something that was stressed and i think should be stressed right even yeah the, the, he's always watching uh the corners seeing how that guy's walking back to his corner yeah that was the big See. thing between rounds is where it's an extremely busy time for them it's not a it's not a lean up against the cage take a break wait for your uh wait for the you know 10 seconds out kind of thing mm-hmm. uh very active it, very active you, you're immediately you're kind of look you're you're looking to the fighter who seems to maybe have been in the most peril at mm-hmm. the end of the round and you're just kind of watching them you're watching their gait how they're walking, you're watching their body language, you're kind of observing them in the corner, you let the you let the seconds do their thing, and then at the end of that, as everybody's kind of before the round starts, maybe you want to take a look, maybe bring in the doctor. Maybe they, we've, we've, we've all seen this in practice, but it's, mm-hmm. it's something I think a lot of people just don't think about. You take it for granted. This was explained, and, and I think it was a good reminder to have that explained. And not only that, uh, I don't remember if you were here for this part or not. Some, someone was talking about this at one point. Um, the idea that there's a minute between rounds, right? Right. It's at least one minute between right, rounds. Right, at right, least right. one minute. So you are the, the, each corner is permitted at least sixty seconds. It can be longer if the referee needs to do something or what for whatever reason. Right now, corners are of course not supposed to manipulate that. You know, a la Yoel Romero against Tim Kennedy. Um, that is obviously an unfortunate scenario. 
Uh, and I believe John McCarthy has spoken about that with re- with regret, right? Do, do you remember him talking about that particular situation? What was it? Not over the weekend, but... What was uh, the situation? Oh, with the, the, with the spilled water or the ice or oh, whatever it was before yeah. round three of that fight. Because he was in a bad way. He wasn't in a good way. And a lot of him reco- recover. He ends up winning in the third round like Yoel Romero did, you know? Right, The right, way he always right. did. <laughs> um, Stoolgate or something, whatever. Yeah, ice stu- gate was, yeah, I think they called it stool- Stoolgate, excuse me. But yeah. there was an issue there and maybe, maybe manipulation. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard to say. But nonetheless, it's we saw what we saw, right? Um, you, you need, it is up to the referees to uh, monitor that. And, you know, be the sole arbiter that says, you know, get your, get your fighters out. And if there are stalling like that, even if it's the corner's fault, you could take a point for timidity. Yes. Timidity, excuse yes. me. To, timidity to be would clear. be the foul. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, and that's that's an unfortunate situation where the fighter can be punished as a result of the actions of the corner, right? Right. It's not good. Seconds cornermen don't want to be doing that. It's not. It's just that you, you're there. You're, to you're playing. That's... You're playing a dangerous yes. game. Let's put it that way. If they're doing that, basically you're playing it da- like basically how Kutelaba and Ankalaev one went played a dangerous game and the fight got stopped. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we, we we discussed was kind of this idea of corner stoppages, right? Yes, that came up. That I thought was very interesting because it explained the the idea of why you don't necessarily want to be throwing in a towel, right? Yeah. Especially a white towel, mm-hmm. because how did it get in there, right? Who threw it? Who Where threw did it, come it from? Where did it come from? We don't know that kind of thing. Um, but we can, the corner can communicate to the secondary referee or the inspectors or inspectors and, 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 and you know, basically another official who can then communicate to the referee in the cage. Hey, listen, we're trying to stop it. And that is the, essentially the proper procedure mm-hmm. for that kind right. of thing. Yeah. Right. If you, yeah, I, I believe there was an inspector in the class taking the course. There was. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I want to say it was a, a woman from Massachusetts who was looking to transition to being, I believe, mm-hmm. a, 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 I want to say a judge. Maybe it was a referee. I, I, I'm mistaken. But nonetheless, a, a, an official who mm-hmm. was not, um, was doing something different than just being an inspector. Right. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I wish, by the way, a lot of the people I spoke to were just, they, they were so enthusiastic and, and driven and, and things like that. So I wish everybody the best of luck in their endeavors and their travels and in, in their pursuits as they try to become either a judge or a referee or some sort of other official. We saw commissioners who were in the class as well, just trying to learn and get better at doing what they do too, you know, humbly bringing themselves to to learn this stuff. I, th- I think a, a big takeaway is everyone was really seemed to be excited to be there. Yeah. I mean, you don't the, come out all the way right. to Niagara, it, New York was, is with all the I mean Dean Thomas was not the only one who had travel issues. I heard a lot about I mean, there was a lot of connecting flights canceled. I think that's just going on in the country right now, but Yeah, that's that's a tough, yeah. tough thing going on now, but even even after the class, you know, the side conversations, everyone was just so into everything. Yeah. And, and that was that was cool. So. It very much was. I I enjoyed that. Um 27 fouls, right? 27 fouls. If you're taking the ju- the refereeing course, this is, I mean, this is probably just a little bit of a cheat sheet, but it's probably good for you to just know it anyway. Ton know, of fouls. Know all of the fouls. Yeah, Be them. able to list them off the top of your head. That's important. Um, it's not it's, easy. This class was, I want to say it was about seven hours all told. There were, you know, there were breaks in the middle and a little bit like that, but nonetheless, it's a cram course. It is a cram course. Mm-hmm. If you want to be ready, Know all the fouls. You won't. It's not open note. It's closed note. So I definitely couldn't name all 27 when I was listing them on my test. 
I, I missed several. I don't know how many. I'll get my results back at some point and probably learn that I failed. I'm not ready to become a referee. <laughs> I, I, and that's fine. That's fine. The thing is, I can recognize a foul when I see it. I'm like, well, that is a foul, right? Right. Can I list them off the top of my head? Me, personally, no. I mean, you know, Sometimes not everybody can test the same way, right? I think I'm a good test taker, but that was, that was, a, that was a tall ask for myself personally. But I'm not complaining at all. I'm not trying right. to become a referee anyway. I'm really just a media guy trying to learn and be better at his job um, and be and, able to talk about the sport in a, in a knowledgeable way. Right. Every, yeah, you, you need to be able to list the fouls. I mean, like like you said, you'll see something. Oh, I know that's a foul. You can't do that. Yep. But would, would you remember it off the top of your head? Because you have to Always. explain these things, right. you know, potentially in, in rules meetings or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and then the, the dealing with the fouls. Oh, uh, you know, let's go with the rules meeting. Basically, the idea of smaller shows, there'll be a group meeting pretty much and then larger shows like ufc they'll have more of individualized meetings uh, with the with fighters with the fighters so i thought that was uh interesting how how early these guys get to the event several hours before two two and a half hours before so it's it's a long day Mm -hmm. um and then you know it i learned you know intentional fouls automatic point you know intentional foul with injury two points uh possibly dq so another thing that was pointed out i think this is actually in the judging portion but i'm pretty sure it applies to everything um presentation the way you present yourself is yes. very important mm-hmm. because if you're sitting cage side and you're judging a fight and you've got a hot dog in your hand and you're eating <laughs> how's that look if you've got your phone up there I can't even... next to you even if you're not looking at it your phone is up there what if it starts ringing what if your phone starts ringing and you start to wonder well who's calling me why are they calling me yeah then you're not thinking about the fight anymore Right. You know, that was a scenario that was, I believe that came directly from Kevin McDonald was just that scenario of you know, thinking about that. Don't do it. Like these, a lot of things are common sense, right? Mm-hmm. But it's very important for someone to hear it because not everybody, I don't want to say not everybody's common sense. That's really where I'm going, but it's, it helps to hear it. You know, it just yeah. helps it to, to hear that scenario, understand how it looks, how it sounds. And the other thing about rep, and this was specifically for refereeing is uh, your candor, the way you speak to people. Rather than, you know, going up and yelling at them, hey, don't be doing that. Don't be doing that. Listen, you know, if there's a foul, you know, something like that, you don't get to mm-hmm. cost them. You say, excuse me, sir, would you come over here? Stand right here, please. Yes. You go over yeah. to the other fighter, calmly say, excuse me, would you come over here, please? And so, you know, are you doing okay? Or they talk about the foul, being fouled. Mm-hmm. Tell them I'm going to give you X, X minutes to recover or what have you, whatever is going on. And you go over to the other person and you explain it to them nice and calmly. You know, the calm demeanor. You want, yeah, because these, these guys are in a fight and they're... Their adrenaline is. Do you do you really want them right coming now. back at you? Yeah. yeah, just like try try to try to keep it calm. Yeah, that was that was what was taught, of course, to to prospective officials and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that, that I thought was very important. Um, the idea of awarding positions has come up before. The idea that this would be maybe an interesting thing to do. It is, of course, not allowed, right? Correct. But why is that not allowed? Uh, you can't predict the future. Say, a guy gets a big lifts him up, hoists him up going for a double guy grabs the fence prevents the takedown they stop it take a point restart standing they don't know where they would have ended up on the ground he may have got the takedown but who knows if the guy in bottom lands a butterfly sweep with all the momentum going to the ground or maybe he locks in a nice guillotine on the way down yeah a lot of things can happen so he has no idea how they would have landed restart standing take a point he's been punished just you know continue on from there the point the point deduction was key there that's that's how you can punish a fighter for doing something as egregious as that, mm-hmm. you know? 
And that, we, and I, was who asked? I don't remember who asked, but he mentioned, you know, are you hesitant to take a point because you know one point in a three round fight is pretty dramatic, not dramatic or devastating. I'd say mm-hmm. to a fight, and they said that's never crossed. That, yeah, that Blake, Blake Grice it. in particular, yeah. uh, who was leading the the class, said absolutely that that had never crossed his mind. Now, mm-hmm. look, anyone can say anything, but I mean, sure, it looked like a pretty honest answer to me. Mm-hmm. You know, just reading, it was a very honest room. You know, uh, and and again, Blake did stress the idea of hey, you know, safe space, we can talk about things. I think that's something that that I'm, I'm trying to use my judgment and think that's something that we can share publicly. That that is that is just a helpful thing to know, mm-hmm. right? Not not say you know past uh, past lessons from in in, in particular fights and things that's right. what we're that's what we want to leave out um yeah i, th- I think it, it's basically it it's the fighter's job to know the rules one yes and not foul and it's the referee's job to follow procedure whatever that procedure is mm-hmm. and that's really it now of course during the refereeing training portion there was at the end of the written you know the 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 let's say the lesson the powerpoint presentation 103 slides i believe was the number yes. 103 um it started flying through a little bit near the end is because there was so much to so much discussion and that kind of thing. Um, but I think we covered everything enough. I didn't feel like we were cheated or or anything like that of, of going deeper into lessons. Right. After that, after you take the written test, the practical portion comes up. Right. Right. This was supposed to be the next day. And they're like, well, you're all taking the judging. We're not going to. Yeah. That. Yeah. So they weren't really prepared necessarily for the idea that everybody uh, and I don't that wasn't necessarily the instructor's fault. That was just kind of the way it was planned. And we're not trying to sign blame, but it was more about, yeah, if you were going to do the practical portion, you can't do it the next day because it was concurrent to the judging. So they had to do they figured out how to do it right after, which extended the course longer than I expected. And unfortunately, yeah. wasn't able to participate. It was it was the funnest part of it, I believe. Yeah, great. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> I didn't get to do it. You got video of me maybe one day i'll let you post I, that i <laughs> can, can i say what it was i took a video yeah, of yeah, yeah it's 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 kind of a pathetic attempt for dan to try and get to a go-go plata i was attacking omo plata oh it was omo plata and then my omo plata went great and then they said no no go-go right he would the the one i was oh okay we're going go-go and then i was like well this is not gonna work so am i still right my short legs <laughs> and my non-flexible legs not happening. I've never been the most flexible <laughs> on the legs. Yeah, I, I I have tough times with triangles and things when I even when I was doing jujitsu uh, many years ago. So I I, I, I can relate. Yeah. So, but it made me kind of sad because I was trying to get a good video of you doing a gogo plata, and you just you you'd let me down. <laughs> you got me. You got me. A great omoplata setup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So which is your favorite too? So, yeah. Granted that. But yeah. So the practical portion, which I again was not able to sit in nearly as much as I'd like to. Maybe you should kind of take the wheel on that. Yeah, the practical portion was was pretty cool. They had us all on one side, then they'd call two volunteers. Uh, they they'd whisper, "Okay, do this submission, whatever it was. Say it's a, a guillotine or an armbar." And then they'd say they, they set up the room, uh, the the move, and they say, "Stop, pause right there." Then they'd call someone, another volunteer, in as the referee. And said, "What would your position be if someone's stuck in this submission?" And then after the tap, what would you do to prevent further damage? What what are the mechanics to do? Sure. Everyone would, uh, you know, do what they think is right. And then Brian Miner joined the, this portion of the class and he would demonstrate the proper way to uh, break up a sub to prevent further damage, which typically is like uh, opposite, like pressure. So if, if the choke is like leaning backwards, he'd, he'd push you forward so you couldn't go any further back, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It would that was a fun portion. Yeah, I would have I would have actually really liked to participate too. It was like if you remember Dan when we were training jiu-jitsu together, I was uh, our our instructor Jamie Cruz. Often I was the training dummy. 
He picked yes. me a lot. Yeah. I think it was because I was similar size. So he, Jimmy, Jamie picks similar size. Uh, Jamie's not a large man. I'm not particularly large uh, when I'm in shape. Listen, <laughs> that, that man feels like an anvil on top of you. Well, he's got he, that Henzo Gracie pressure. He may be uh, like 180 pounds mo- at most and then feels like Soaking 500. Wet, yeah. And it's he knows where to put it to make it even heavier. Yeah, yeah. Pressure yes. was a, a big part of our <laughs> jujitsu lessons. Yeah. Um, I miss jujitsu so much. I, even talking with people over the weekend just about how much I miss it is like, God, I got to figure out how to get back. Well, you know, that, this, that, that's what I liked about this portion, you know, getting to demonstrate and actually roll with someone. I've been out for a while. My shoulder's a mess. It wasn't really rolling. But no, yeah. but I mean, but you get the taste for it. I get it. I get you, it. You know, I do. Just a little bit. And sure. So, yeah, I got to get back. I know. Well, even... Once the shoulder is, brit- is better. Maybe. Do you need surgery? Like, is there no, something messed up with no, it? No, it's just an impingement, but it's taking okay. forever to heal. Like, so, like, I told you that I tapped from just someone press, pr- uh, grabbing my wrist and pushing yes. it to the mat. I was like, this is ridiculous pain for something. Have you have so you thought simple. about removing the shoulder from your body? I have not thought about that. That okay. was, I mean, might as well just cut it off. Ronnie Lotwood, right? Go, go, yeah. Go. <laughs> yes, he would. Yes, he would. And you don't need a shoulder. They're, they're kind of useless. I mean, shoot, if, if. If Brian Ortega didn't have a shoulder, I mean, is that fight being stopped? Is he is he is he out of that fight or is he still going? No, he's, he's still going. Yeah. If he had no shoulder, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Anything else we should add, referee, before we kind of move on to maybe me updating you probably on some things you missed from the ABC conference? Yeah, I think I think the referee. I think we we hit most of it or or, or all of uh, all all the good points really. I mean, I, I won't even go as far as I mean, to say that. I feel like there's got to be I, we're there definitely was so much. Some. There's so much. And if we miss something, if you were at the conference, uh, if you're an official who was at the conference or an official in general who just wants to to share something that maybe you think ought to be a really good message to get out there or something that was discussed that maybe we missed, hit us up. Well, yeah, here's the thing. I mean, this was like 15 hours packed in 15 hours of information packed into two days. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Time. So, it's not a time. It's this isn't this is actually just this is a certification course. Right. This is this is the first step. This is this is yeah. Get your foot in the door. And there was people taking this course for the second and third time, mm-hmm. just because it's it's just so info packed. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, people are very excited to do it again too. I I'm I would definitely. Yeah. You gonna go back to the conference next year? They're talking about Vegas. Oh well. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> You'll be I, there. I, I, I will be there. <laughs> I don't know if I will be. I I'll have to evaluate that as it comes. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it's somehow tied with International Fight Week, that would make it a lot easier for me to say, okay, maybe I'll do it, but. Yeah, what, will they do that? I don't know. Oh. And one thing we should probably, before we uh, wrap this up, and you know, Scott, give us the the talking points of the rest of the week. Uh, code of conduct is is a huge thing for the ABC. It was the it was the lead off point. Yeah, for in every the class. refereeing course, and then yes, in the in the judging course as well. You're right. Yeah, this you know, social media being a big uh big thing to kind of I don't want to say avoid, but avoid. It was very <laughs> much stressed that yes, yeah, social media is is kind of the devil. It's one of the many tools yeah. of the devil. <laughs> Don't um, don't gamble if you're an, a licensed official on fights. That's a big no no. Yeah, don't take pictures of yourself with fighters and all that kind of thing during fight night. And, you know, yeah. there's kind of like there's lines where it becomes kind of palatable to do things like let's say you take like a a picture at the end of the event and post it or something like that. It seemed like there was more that was more of a gray area. You know. Yeah, you're you're there as as. An official, not a fan. Don't be like, basically. hey, and, and you're not. They're not there to watch you either. You're you're just there to to do your job. So you're, it's not the idea. Like, hey, check out about seven, four, and eight. Yeah, oh yeah. The the dress code. You know, we want to be very black, kind of not neutral, be part, colored, not be yes. part of the show. Mm-hmm. And not it's not about drawing your attention to yourself. 
Yep. Um, unless you're in Hawaii, in which they encourage uh, Hawaiian shirts sometimes. I really wish the refs got to wear Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> that would have been cool. Well, well, we know why you now don't. Now we know why. Yeah, now it's we because know why. it's slimming. No, no, it's because it's because <laughs> if you want to be uh, a neutral background figure that mm-hmm. doesn't draw, even even kind of the the color of the gloves was spoken about. That you know, Jason Herzog earlier in his career used to wear mm-hmm. uh, different colored gloves. You know, raise awareness for different things, pink gloves. You know, breast cancer, that yeah. kind of thing. Moved away from that. Yeah, and also find things that you know. As far as like, if you're to judge uh, identifying fighters, because it can be difficult to remember who's blue corner, who's red corner, and some sure. of those AMI fights that we had, where both fighters are wearing black trunks, yeah. both have white tape around their wrists. Oh yeah, who's the blue corner? Who's the red corner? And it's- and and that's actually we should, we should have pointed that in the judge training is like you know we watched actual rounds, but many of them were amateur fights. Pretty much all of them were were fights that you typically aren't watching. I mean, there there was one from Cage Warriors. So anybody who's watching Cage Warriors, it's possible they will remember a fight from there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Bella round in there as well from Paul Daly against uh, uh, Eric Silver, right? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure these all change. Oh, yeah, Every yeah. course. I, I would expect there's yeah. probably different reasons they pick different fights and everything yeah. like that. And maybe us saying this will, will be like, damn it, now we got to change it. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry if that's the case. But, uh, you know, it's, it was just the, the idea that we're watching, especially the amateur ones is what I wanted to focus on, is that there were scenarios that came up in one particular fight, actually, where it was like, okay, here's a, here's kind of a close round that maybe goes one way, and there's a close round that goes the other way, and then there's another round that's not so close that goes that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And there were different reasons to give those, and we all discussed them, so. Um, yeah. They hammered home, you know, you really got to you gotta hone your your craft in the amateurs. Sure. Because five minutes is a long time. You got to, you know, you got to be able to do two minutes at a time, three minutes. Right. Work your way up to that five-minute pro bout. And now that that code of conduct to kind of get back to that before we get into the ABC stuff and kind of wrap up, um, that code of conduct. Look, me as media, I look at this and maybe there's things in it where I'm like, all right, a lot of that makes sense. Some of it's like, I mean, you know, come on, maybe maybe to some degree they should be able to um, have communications with media. To, it doesn't have to be on the record or every person or or public kind of on the record type of stuff. Um, that I the idea that they're kind of restricted is kind of a tough thing, right? Because, you know, there's... <laughs> and it was Andy Foster, actually, that elocuted this. It's like, listen, I'm not going to take away your First Amendment rights to to say this, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to use you. Right. You yeah. know, it was, it, there there is the idea that there are repercussions to that. And, you know, I guess that's kind of the prerogatives. It's, it's kind of a gray area. Um, but the, the, the point I would like to make on that is this document's not going to go away. This is something that, especially if you want to work for Mike Mazzulli and the Mohegan Commission, who's president of the ABC, if you want to do that, you want to work with him, that is part and parcel. And, you know, like it or not, that's how it's going to be. Hell of the highway. Yeah. I mean, do you think maybe somewhere in the future, I don't know, 10, 15 years in the future, media training is part of this annual conference? No. No? You don't no, I don't. Happen- no? And the reason being is the, the idea that they have been stressing that you see you know, referees and uh, umpires in baseball and football and basketball. They're not having, you know, they're not going to media necessarily and explaining themselves. But but one difference is in a lot of those sports, the bodies, the the organizations, these other things, they will come out and clarify certain things. They're like a spokesperson, so to speak. I mean, the NBA can release, you know, they release their okay. two minute reports and that kind of thing, right? They'll they'll talk right, about the NBA this has stuff, a as report, I've explained, yeah. to, I think, on the show, but especially to you, you know, in private. Um, they don't have that with commissions right now. 
Okay. That is where I take a major issue. If you're restricting their ability to comment on things, to clarify things, teach, teach why certain things are the way they are widely and not just privately to the, you know, 40 or 50 people that are able to show up. And, and you know, it's not just it's not cheap to travel literally anywhere, especially right now with gas being what it is and raising the price of everything else, inflation, da, 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 all the things in the real world. Right. There needs to be accountability. You hear this a lot. Accountability. People talk about wanting accountability. They say it. They want it from judges. But what they really should want it for and the really focus should be on is commissions being accountable in explaining things to the masses helping us understand why things are the way they are maybe they don't need to take it verbatim from the judge i don't know what the the middle ground is right but it's the commissions that i expect accountability from they can't just hide behind not saying anything if they're not going to let the officials do it either it has this um this air of we're hiding something right or we just you know we want to avoid it and that's unfortunate. I think that's a real problem because as we've seen before in the case of I'll, I'll, I'll bring him up by name, J.J. Ferraro from a couple of years ago in Houston, right? He comes out, he explains his score, uh, why he scored it the way he did in the Bobby Green and uh, Rafael Faziev fight round three. He gave it to Faziev in a round that I think to most reasonable people certainly looked like an extraordinarily clear Bobby Green round go into the secondary criteria and all this yes. stuff, a very flawed way to go about it. Uh, and in the process, getting into an argument more or less with people and then continually throughout the day, explaining himself, also throwing Adelaide bird under the bus. I was never comfortable with that. I was, that looked, that didn't look right. Um, it's like if fans can do it, but shoot, you're another official. You're not supposed to criticize other officials, right? That's in the document. That is in the document. Um, it felt like at some point that particular case was alluded to, by a commission official over the course of the conference, nothing was said directly. But I mean, you, you kind of read the tea leaves, and it kind of looked like that particular example was was uh, was brought up. But the commissions really ought to be responsible for that, getting that message out and explaining it. Because the one thing you saw from people after JJ Ferraro explained in a very poor way, why or in a flawed way, I suppose, why. He scored it the way he did. Was people were just thrilled that anybody said anything? Yeah, they were thrilled. They were like, "Well, at least, at least we got somebody yeah, who's talking saying, about yeah, it." I don't agree with it, but thank you for being transparent. Yeah, That's absolutely. It, it made no sense, but they're like, "Hey, all right." Now imagine if you can get somebody a commission to go on record to explain it in a way that actually jives with things, right? Mm -hmm. From an experienced judge who probably does it the right way, you know, allow allow someone like a you know. I won't even name it a hypothetical judge, but let's say one of the top judges in Nevada, right? Say, say they put in a score and let's say somebody doesn't, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, what the heck is going on here? Why the heck would they give this round that way? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Allow the commission or the commission to speak to the official and let them explain it to us, to media, media in particular, and allow media to disseminate the message or whatever. Or if you want to do it directly through your, through your commission's website or a social media platform that your, your commission has, get the message out there. Let, let people understand, send an email, whatever whatever just allow us to know let people learn i bet you you'll come away with a lot less people ultimately arguing with things because you're actually gonna teach them so i i challenge commissions to do that to get better at that i hope they do all right <laughs> a lot of passion there i suppose right on um, to uh the week on to the conference yeah and I, I, you know we don't have to go deep into the weeds of this i can kind of more or less summarize it for you i, I would refer a lot of people to um the tweets that i was putting out on monday tuesday wednesday um trying to 
especially the the MMA portions and things I was I was particularly focused on. But there were other things I was tweeting about, kind of the happenings that were going on in the conference. But the big takeaway for mixed martial arts uh, viewers and you know if you're if you're listening to our show, you're you know an MMA fan, right? Rules changes that passed. They introduced two rule changes. They both passed. One of them took a lot of uh, let's say misdirected debate on the first day because this this was a minor one that I think totally bewildered Andy Foster when he presented it. He figured the other one that he presented, which we'll get to in a sec, he figured that was going to be the one that there was a lot of debate over and nobody cared at all. Like everyone was like, yeah, that's fine. The first one led to a 20 to 25 minute debate over the merits of neoprene sleeves for knees and ankles for fighters to use them. This was a rule that was already on the books. No one was changing or they were adding the ability to do that. All that was being done was specifying what colored neoprene sleeves are available. <laughs> and that is black as a neutral color or the color that the athletic commission assigns your corner. So if you're in the red corner, you can wear a red sleeve. If you're in the blue corner, you can wear a blue sleeve for uniformity, for clarity, um, to, to get rid of confusion and that kind of thing. If somebody shows up with, let's say, like a pink sleeve, you know, that's kind of reddish. It could be a little confusing. Or maybe they, maybe they have a blue sleeve on and they're in the red corner. Yeah, it makes that it, would that would be hard. To, it would be it would sorry. just make it a little more challenging. And, and look, you can have different colored shorts and that kind of thing. Red corner can have blue shorts. Blue corner can have red shorts. That's mm-hmm. the, that's kind of just going to happen. I guess they're not really tackling that. But the the idea of these neoprene sleeves, that's all they want to do. They just wanted to change the color. <laughs> and it led to 20 to 25 minutes debate and whether they would actually have these at all and whether they were medically, you know, what, what, why are we allowing med- these neoprene sleeves if there's a medical issue? Like, should they even be cleared to fight? Da, 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 da. What if it's a tactical advantage? You have the neoprene. It got very sidetracked and it was equal parts funny and exhausting sitting there as a, I was trying to be a fly in the wall and just kind of reporting it. But I'm like, my God, why are we still on this? Why are we still on this? Actually, speaking of this, it reminded me of something from, yeah. from previously sure. where they said, you know, in the back, when they're doing the inspections, they check your fingernails, make sure they're of proper length. Yeah, yeah. As a referee, uh, yeah. Or an inspector, yeah. The neoprene sleeves, you can't wear them on your elbows because they're meant strictly for support. So it's only a leg Yes, thing. that is that is the distinction. Absolutely. It's support so you can stand. <laughs> um, too much makeup or any glitter anywhere. Yeah, that would get wiped allowed. down. They, they pointed out in particular of female <laughs> fighters who, you know, and, and I think it was limited to female fighters, but more prevalent mm-hmm. in them, you know, female fighters who would wear that type of thing to kind of distinguish themselves, you know, brand themselves. And it's, you know, it's kind of understood. But, but you know, when they get to the UFC level in particular, it would be like, yeah, you can't do that. I'm like, what? And, <laughs> and, and, and that brings, that makes me, that reminds me of other things where, where most cuts are bad. The inside part of the eye or the upper vermilion, which people probably don't think about, the upper lip. The, which is what, a big, it's big called the vermilion what? I or the, the term. vermilion border, perhaps? It, it's a t- it's, I wrote it's, it down, but I t- do not have my notes yeah, here. Did it's, you write it down? It's, it's the upper portion of your lip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where where, it's very thin and hard If you to can stitch. imagine where Robbie Lawler's lip got torn apart against Rory McDonald and where, uh, what was it, Overeem, Alistair Overeem, was that against, mm-hmm. who was that against, where he, his lip tore the same way? That wasn't that wasn't Jarzinho Rosenstrike, was it, or was that a different mm, fight earlier? I, I couldn't tell you. Well, nonetheless, I, I think I think a lot of you will remember that, and and you certainly remember Robbie and and, and McDonald because that was an amazing fight. And Everyone remembers that one. So they're saying is you know in a, in a higher level fight like a UFC fight like Robbie Lawler, they're not too worried about him not being deformed the rest of his life. He'll be able to you know get the plastic surgeon, a good surgery, or or a good doctor who can stitch it properly mm-hmm. on the regionals. Making five hundred bucks and five hundred to win. They're not going to let you be a warrior so, like that for yeah. five hundred bucks. They're not going to do it. So that that is a, a 
They're going to stop it earlier. Yeah. And especially at AMI, they're going to stop things even earlier. Mm -hmm. In in amateurs, and, you know, people who watch amateurs probably already know this, if an arm bar is already locked in and it's extended, they don't have to wait for you to break your arm. They don't have to wait for you to tap. If it's gone too far, you're an AMI, it's over. You can wave it off and probably should. Amateurs about learning and not going out on your shield. No money. Yeah. There's no money. It's literally amateur. The the definition of it is you're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. So. (laughs) It's a good point. um, yeah, that's yeah. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's just the truth. <laughs> um, but to get back, yeah, the the um, where were we exactly? You were on the rule changes, the neoprene rule sleeves. changes. Yeah, so the neoprene sleeves that that ultimately they they found a compromise in the language, um, and it was I think to specify that the this was not considered equipment; it was not grabbable. So okay. that got rid of like the tactical advantage, and I think it, it had more to do with. And granted, all of these rule changes, it, it's it's still incumbent on the athletic commissions to go home and enact them. These yeah. are the the ABC pretty much just enacts the rules or, or passes rules, and then that becomes the standard by which commissions are encouraged to go by. Um, members of the ABC in particular. Um, the at was that was the minor change, the major change, and this is a big one, and I think one that you're actually going to start hearing about on the broadcasts now. Yes, it, when they introduce things, is the fact that now fighters are allowed five minutes to recover. If they are, if they receive a finger in the eye, they're, they're poked in the eye, right? By a mm-hmm. finger, of course. Um, not, not the, not the knuckle or whatever, you know, not by punch. Still, that's still a legal strike. An eye poke, an eye gouge, you know, from extended fingers, that kind of thing. That you are now allowed five minutes, to, up to five minutes to recover, and it will be treated the same way as a groin strike, where mm-hmm. they are allowed five minutes to recover. Now, I had a good question that was uh, posed to me from uh, Cody Morrow, who's one of the producers on. Uh, Anakin Florian podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really good question, and I went to follow up with Andy Foster on it because I wanted clarity. This was he's the head of the rules committee, MMA rules committee. So I went to follow up, and the question was, what happens if a fighter goes, you know, they they're poked in the eye right away? They say, I can't see because right now that gets stopped, right? Mm-hmm. As past practice, obviously we're going to start seeing different things now. Past practice, it was they would stop the fight right away, can't mm-hmm. see, it's done. Now, as as uh, Mr. For- or as Executive Director Foster explained, they'd say, okay, take your time. Take your five minutes. Let's evaluate you at the end. Mm-hmm. I think that's and the way that's it should it. be. And that's it. Allow them to bring it out. Allow them to kind of get over the shock of I can't see. You know, give them time to recover. And that's that's pretty much where we're at. I like that. I that's think it's right. It's great. And that's why, <laughs> realistically, that's why nobody actually fought it. There was no debate. Nothing over this. It was it was truly like a, yep, yeah, makes sense. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why he was so, and Andy was, uh, you know. Foster was so incredulous that it took so long. He, you could tell he's like, I never expected it to be this. <laughs> and I'm trying. I've probably done a more um, accurate uh, impression of, of executive director Foster, who has a, a very uh, distinctive way of speaking, which I think is wonderful, by the mm-hmm. way. I, he's he's got a mesmerizing accent um, from Georgia. But uh, yes, <laughs> I kind of dipped into that, I guess, a little bit. Right. A bit. A bit, a bit. There were, there were a couple other things that were brought up, and these weren't rule changes for this year. One of them was, I guess, it's kind of, it was presented as a new thing for this year. There's a new training document called the MMA Scoring Ladder. Yeah. And it's a big old graphic. I think we referenced it earlier. This big old graphic that illustrates, in a, I guess, a concise way, how you score fights and how you assign 10, or assess 10 8s and 10 9s and 10 7s and 10 10s and all that stuff, right? Big old graphic with lots of word on it. Sean Sheehan's not a big fan. 
at all. <laughs> um, you know, I haven't seen that yet. To be fair, I have honestly, I haven't even gotten deep into that document yet. I really haven't gotten the chance to d- dig deep into my. Yeah. But my understanding is, it's not necessarily meant for like the layman so much as uh, it's a training tool. That was how Andy Foster labeled it as a training document. Yeah, I mean, at first glance, you can see how it's it's kind of uh, convoluted, maybe. Sure, sure. sure. Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I think Mark Ramundi posted a. He got it early. It, yeah, credit, so. credit to Mark Ramundi. He got. Yeah, he, so Andy I, must have shared it with him early. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I saved it from. Good his reporter, tweet. Mark. So I mean, I have it on my phone. It's just, it, there's a lot here on it. Yeah. If you get a chance, you know. I wish I had seen. I wish I had seen it earlier from him. I, I missed it because I was tweeting myself uh, mm. the uh, what was going on at the ABC. But he got it early. He tweeted it out. Um, if I had seen it, I would have been able to look it over early. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I, I had known a little early what the. Um, the general idea of what some of the rule changes were going to be, but I didn't know what the language was, so I kind of held off on that. But neither here nor and there. The, um, before we get off the rules, yeah, yeah, uh, was, I'm not even done. Oh, you're not. The, okay. No, I'm not then, quite then, done. Then you might get it. Then yeah, so what, continue on. Okay, well, what I was going to say is they they mentioned the idea that in twenty in a few months they will have more like revised language for 10 eights. This is something that's been oh, a work in progress. I like that. Yeah, you know, the idea of that damage would kind of be an emphasized per- portion of the 10 eight. Okay. Um, that was what was alluded to. It's not ready yet. Uh, in a few months, a few more months was what Andy Foster more or less timed it at. We were, and we'd been hearing him talking about this for a while, so it was not surprising to hear that. That was at least on the pike. I think some of us expected it might be this year or for the commission, uh, the conference this year, and it just wasn't. So we'll stay tuned for that. And the last thing is that there was a proposal to change the definition of a grounded that's fighter. It, yeah, that's where I was going to go. Okay. okay. Yeah. This was something that was proposed not for people to vote on this year, but the idea that it would be voted upon in 2023's conference. And, you know, the, I think the sense was, hey, let's, let's give everybody a heads up this year. Think about it over the next 12 months or so with a new language essentially being focused on at least one of the opponent's hands being a weight bearing on the floor, including but not limited to the palm, fingertips or fist. And that's kind of the, the, more or less the change. I don't want to get deep into the weeds. It's it's you know, we'll, we'll hear more about it later. But uh, the one thing I did hear uh, from some officials there, some officials in presence is that's not going to pass. That's not really? gonna. It's just just not gonna happen. Just too much. At back. least at least as presently worded. Just no one has. I think the idea is that it's too. The 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 concern is that it's too challenging for maybe referees of lesser experience to identify. Okay, I got a question. That was something that had been voiced to me. Yeah, what's your question? Hypothetical. I guess it's. What do you think's more likely? All commissions coming together on defining a grounded opponent or legalizing knees to the head? All commissions now. Not all commissions were present at this thing. I mean, or, well, New Jersey whoever, whoever is di- New Jersey didn't show up. There's a bunch of other commissions that just don't do this anymore. Really? Because they, they split off with the uh, the changes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah there was no Nick Lembo, well, who, no who, representative of New Jersey. All right. So whoever votes. Okay. On the, these. the 37 voting uh, who, members. Whoever, is what whoever the votes here. are agree that you know you should be able to strike to the head with knees and kicks. Mm-hmm. Or, or or what? Or agree on a definition for a grounded opponent. A grounded fighter. It's distinctly more likely them to figure out the definition of a grounded opponent because there will always be the the optics of of the knee to the to the head of a down opponent that they will never try. <laughs> and 12, 12 to six elbows were not visited at all. You know no. what I heard about twelve to six elbows? What? 
UFC doesn't want. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's surprising. That is that's a little bit. I, yeah. That's something I had heard. I mean, because it's their broadcast. It's always calling how you know crazy it is. But you know what it is? I, the idea, I guess, that that was posited based on this that thing that I'd heard, uh, and I'll keep to myself where I'd heard it, is that they're they're trying to present themselves as maybe less barbaric in a sense, and the, the idea that this twelve to six elbow is is kind of like that. Now, is this accurate? I don't know. This is one thing I heard. Mm. It makes some sense, but also maybe it's not exactly true. You know, I don't want to label that as definitive truth. Okay. You know, let's let's couch that. Uh, let's couch side that. Uh, <laughs> terrible, joke. <laughs> terrible joke. We've been doing this a while, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it it makes some sense, I guess, if they're trying to present a product that's. I mean, it's a publicly traded company now. Maybe they don't want to go for adding more brutality. I I mean. I think it's stupid. I mean, goodness gracious. It's not. What's the difference between 11 to 7 or 12 to 6? I mean, freaking Dana, nothing. Dana White threw a tantrum last night. That doesn't over sound like not, Dana to me. Over That doesn't not, sound like Dana at all. Not trying to finish fights. I mean, <laughs> this is. Oh, that's. I mean, that's kind of crazy to me. I'm sorry to hear that Dana had it. I mean, I hope he's feeling better. He was upset. I, I hope mean, he's I mean, better. I'm, yeah, he was, he was a little yeah. upset, so. Maybe he'll he'll be feeling better on Friday when he he makes his disgusting (laughs) concoction of food that somehow I'm still going to want to (laughs) eat. Some of them look pretty tasty. Some of them look tasty. Some of them are just, oh my God, get that, get that out of here. That was, that was a mistake of science. Uh, (laughs) um, That, that was it though, as far as the actual rules, uh, proposals, rules committee things. That was, that was honestly, I think the biggest thing that I was most interested in coming into this. Um, also, Dean Thomas, who again was in town for the training, but he was also in town to speak to the commissioners at the commission on Friday, uh, the uh, at the conference on Monday, the first day at the end of it, about open scoring. He was essentially there to stump for it, to make a case for it to commissioners, why fighters should want it, why coaches should want it, why it's a benefit uh, to that, and and it led to some interesting debate. Uh, you, you had you had some commissioners saying, you know, where where's the benefit? It does, you know, it has nothing to do with fate or safety. It's not something they should be concerned with. That all this kind of thing, right? But you did hear some voices in favor of it. Tony Cummings from Colorado, who does have open scoring there. We've had him on this show before. Uh, he spoke of, of course, of of the statistics that have been gathered from both the Kansas Athletic Commission, uh, who had been kind of the pioneers of this, right, in in MMA. Uh, we've had Adam Rohrbach who, who helped develop that on the show before too. I uh, spoke of the statistics he and, and and the Kansas Commission had gathered, which, granted, they're still um, probably more shallow, not not shallow, but smaller sample size than we would like to see to be able to really get a, a real read of it, um, and also very skewed toward uh, women's fights because it's largely been Invicta shows and 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 mm-hmm. some, some LFA and you know a little bit over there, but it's been largely. Uh, there too, we, we probably would want to see, you know, more men's fights as well, just to get it rounded out. <laughs> and even if I don't believe that myself, you guarantee there's going to be some commissioners who will feel that way. Um, but uh, you're, and, and you're talking another, about coasting, coast, uh, coasting, the yeah. idea of what coasting could do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, that was part of it. Um, but then, you know, there were other voices. I mean, certainly, like I said, there were detractors there. And I think largely it's, it's still a, uh, a room that is not in favor of it, not distinctly yeah. interested it, in it. But even uh, another another official who spoke, actually, Dan, I should bring up, a name who we've spoken about on this show many times, Dave Hagan. Dave Hagan. Dave Hagan now is uh, an administrator with the Oregon Athletic Commission. He's He spoke to me a little bit about trying to bring it to, you know, bring it back and, and, and really revitalize it. 
uh, which is exciting to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a wealth of experience. Uh, you know, he was, he was with Team Quest back in the day. You know, he helped like, corner Randy Couture, and he's judged all over the world. Um, and, and, judge for many years so when you whenever you get these these guys coming from one side to the to the regulatory side i i'm personally excited by it i think i think it's really great to have that so but you know he spoke and said like listen if i was a fighter and when i was second i certainly would want to know where i stood in the fight or where where my fighter stood in the fight yeah. Spoke glowing I, too. I, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't characterize it as he was saying. Oh, we should bring it in. But I think he was just arguing the merits of. Hey, maybe it makes sense. I mean, I think that's the strongest argument open scoring has is that the fighters deserve to know where yeah. they stand. But at the second time, at, on the other hand, they should also educate themselves on the criteria. Yes, absolutely. And, and there was one particular person so, who, yeah, <laughs> they they brought that up to Dean Thomas. That it was probably a little a little more um, forcefully worded. Okay. The idea that someone who was a uh, a well-regarded coach and a fighter only the day before speaking about open scoring was was had come up to learn mm-hmm. how judges how fights were judged uh, and and the words be the words judge them how you want you know whether they were, were did they lack decorum did they not I don't know but the message behind it was uh, I think a, a an important one which is fighters and coaches really ought to know. <laughs> they ought to know what the criteria is. I mean, even even if say the fighter doesn't know and, and the head coach doesn't know, do you think it would be beneficial to have someone in your corner who is very well versed in it and his job is to score the fight for the corner? Makes sense. Do you think that would help them at least understand what's going on? I a think bit? I think it's really important for every fight camp, every gym, whatever. Mm-hmm. Bring in an official. Yeah. Talk to them, even if it's just the coach one on one and say, like, listen. When I get the fight to the floor, like what are you what are you looking for for me to say, hey, I'm I'm actually doing something to take this round? Just like, go over hypotheticals. You don't have to ask them, hey, why'd you score this round this way, right? Mm-hmm. Just go over hypotheticals, scenarios. Mm-hmm. You can't go over all of them, but I mean, shoot, you can learn something. Yeah, and then uh, I thought I saw you tweet something similar. I did a few things. Uh, Dean Thomas said that the fighter who's up earned the right to coast. That is that is something he he argued. Yeah, he said, listen, if I'm up and I win that round. I earned that right, you know, absolutely. From an entertainment standpoint, that I don't think that flies well. No, absolutely. It, it, look, so. it absolutely does not. And and I mean, I spoke, I've spoken to fighters who actually said disagree with kind of that notion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not necessarily something they would be in favor. To be honest, of, that, that that could be timidity foul. Well, yeah. that's the thing. They, so, the enforcement of a timidity foul would be important there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's on the books, and if they're not engaging and they're not trying to do that, I probably. If we already know who the fighter who's up, I would think a referee could be able to pull the trigger a lot quicker with that timidity. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Because once they take, if, if it's a two-round fight or a three-round fight, and fighter, let's say Blue is up 20-18, to 18, and then Blue is kind of dancing around, you take a point from Blue, now all Red has to do is win the round, and it's a draw. Yeah. You know? It's easy. And, and it takes away, it, you know, there, there's still the urgency. And granted, and I've said this to a lot of fighters and, and, and individuals and stuff like, how are you going to fight? How do you, how did you fight? Or how do you fight mm-hmm. when you're up two rounds? And you know it because you don't know the scores. But a lot of times there are a lot of fights where you just know you're winning. There's not, there's not I think I'm winning. Or, you know, I felt really good about that one. Or I'm really confident in myself. I, I must have won that round. There's rounds where you're like, I won. I know right. it. I know it. And they still go out and win round three. Do you know how many fights had the fighter winning all three rounds in London the other day, Dan? Six. Okay. Six out of fourteen. I, I believe the yeah. number was fourteen. I, Six out of fourteen had the had the fighter winning all three rounds. They didn't have to, and they probably knew they were winning. Some of some of which were were potential ten eights. We talked about them. 
Yeah, but I, th- I think there's I think there's a big difference in trying to figure out how you think you would fight if you knew you were for sure winning. Sure. As opposed to if you for sure or you think you might be losing. Like Jim Miller, Gray Maynard is a great example. Mm-hmm. Jim came out swinging for defense as he knew he was down. Yeah. He was going to try to take off Gray's head. But also that so. that adds different drama. Yeah. You know? It absolutely. It, I, I don't see why the drama that would be lost in certain ways can't be replaced by different, more just as interesting drama. It changes it, but it, I think it just redirects the drama. Yeah. I think I think fans love the idea of oh who got this one this is a close fight who's gonna get the nod but you know what I'll tell you, let me let me relay something to you Dan I had a conversation through social media over the weekend uh, with Jonathan Snowden who wrote the MMA encyclopedia uh, he wrote that that Frank Shamrock biography okay uh, which is fascinating by the way and I, I recommend Jonathan Snowden's book on Shamrock called Shamrock uh, I really do recommend it um, he can it basically came into the conversation he entered the conversation that the 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 Twitter thread or whatever right he ended the conversation kind of thing you know open not, not really in favor of open scoring it takes out the drama that kind of thing and he said like listen i was in the building for triple g against canelo number mm-hmm. one the one where of course everyone was like you know it was a close fight people really thought that was at least a close fight if nothing else there mm-hmm. you know you, you can think what you want about what scorecards or what mm-hmm. we don't need to get into that that's not what we're really doing but he said like there was real palpable drama in the building about who won the fight, what the result of the fight was. And obviously it was a draw. Nobody mm-hmm. won the fight. Um, but in that building, everyone was thrilled and excited. And if you take that out, you don't have it. So out of curiosity, I went over to MMA Decisions, which they do have a couple of boxing on okay. there. Once in a while, Chris McMaster will put a, a boxing one on there, especially one that's like kind of a hotly debated judging one, right? Okay. I knew that Canelo and Triple G was on there. So I said, let's go see. And I looked. And going into that 12th round, You had one judge who couldn't possibly score it for anyone but Canelo. Mm -hmm. And you had another judge who had already more or less guaranteed a score or excuse me, a win on this person's card for Triple G. And on the other one, they had Triple G up by one point. So we already have drama going into that 12th round. And just imagine you go into that 12th round and you already know for a fact that this round is crucial to the fight mm. i just thought that was fascinating when i discovered that and i shared that yeah and and it actually started i mean you can go find the i don't i won't speak for jonathan he can you know his tweets speak for themselves my my tweets speak for themselves if you want to go find that conversation between us he started he started to say hey maybe i'm turning around on this more or less um it's like it was just yeah, kind of funny i, mean, I was still, like oh, a plot st- twist <laughs> you still have the drama yeah but now i mean does word get to that judge that listen this fight is on you now you're choosing the winner. Well, the idea, right, would be so, you don't want the judges to know. Right. So, so it's it's crucial that the total tallies do not get vocalized all the way to the cornerman. But how do you do that? I mean, are you That's are you naming the judge or what are you doing? Like, how do you do that? One suggestion that I had heard was you assign a color to each judge. Mm-hmm. But you don't just keep the same color for even each seat. It changes every time. So okay. there's no way to figure out until later on who judged who and what had what score, right? So you can still live anonymously. The judge wouldn't know what color they were? Probably. I mean, I think ideally you'd no. have to, right? Right, This yeah. I don't know, remember. I don't even remember if this came from a commission official. I, I, to be For the life of me, I couldn't remember who suggested it, but I heard it over the week. And I was like, wow, that's a perfect idea. Yeah. You know? And also, I think, I, I, I think you also mentioned someone said, uh, or I think it was you that tweeted that, I think Dean was saying, "Well, that that sounds like a judge's issue, not a fighter's yes. issue." Yes, yeah, absolutely. So. Like, all these all these issues, like that's not our fault. Like we just want the tools. We want to know mm-hmm. these are this is our livelihood. We're trying to figure out how to win fights. 
and you can guess it, but it doesn't matter because even if you're guessing, there is still the concrete answer of this happened. They scored it that way. You have to live in that reality. Mm -hmm. You don't want to find that out later. And I, that's where I that's where I start to really go on the side of, of open scoring, as long as it's handled correctly. You know, I'm going to have people that will disagree with me, but I've thought out my position very strongly. Um, and I won't tell anyone that's against it. They are distinctly wrong. I know Sean Sheehan, of course, uh, very against open scoring. I respect his opinion. It, I respect a lot of his opinions. Let's be real here. You know, I, he's incredibly knowledgeable about judging. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's really a, a fantastic voice for kind of our mission on this show, right? Um, a mission that he had taken up before we even thought of this show. Yeah. But I, we disagree here, and and I think that's okay for us to disagree. I mean, I I was always for it, like hardcore on it. Now I've coming off that. I've come off that a little bit. Okay. So I mean, I I see the, I see the total. Well, now I can fight you though. That's yeah, the thing. You're that, in front yeah. of me. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Except uh, you used to. You you'll probably get on top and, and get me in an normal plot of yeah. somehow because I mean, I'll roll out of it and I'll mess up. We're in different weight classes. This is, this is also true. Um, I understand it from a fighter standpoint. Yeah. I understand it from a commission standpoint. From a judge's standpoint, they don't, they don't want to yeah. put ex- why put extra pressure on the official. Yeah. Uh, other things that you can you know you can avoid it. I mean, it's already a stressful job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like like you said about and real oh. quick, just interject. They, like like we were saying more or less that it, Dean Thomas was saying this judges issue. Like yeah. get better judges. You know that that was the challenge that was was issued from him. Whether that's easy or not, easier I mean, said they, than they, done. Fine, but I that mean, was his challenge. They already have to have thick skin post fight. You know, sure. Why, why do it during the fight? I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, and I get it from a fan's perspective. Maybe it ruins their experience. It wouldn't ruin my experience. I'd still. I think a lot of fans actually it, so. like it too. There's plenty that don't, but there's a lot of people who think it'd be cool. I mean, obviously, for all the gamblers out there, open scoring would uh, maybe hurt live betting, perhaps. But does that save their wallets? It could, but for, <laughs> but for I mean, I'm talking about the the really good handicappers, mm-hmm. the ones who understand what's happening, how yeah, fights yeah. are being scored, and then. They see a bad line and they're able to pounce on that. That's gone because now for, we know for sure which way it's going to go. I'm curious so, how many handicappers have taken the judging course, sir. I, I don't think any. How well do they know really what's going on? Because they think they know, but maybe they don't either. It's possible. Uh, if you're a handicapper listening to this <laughs> and, and you've taken the judging course, I would love to hear from you, even if it's just privately. I would love to hear that. And if you are a handicapper and you haven't taken the judging course, go take the judging course. You will be a lot better at your job. Okay. But also... And, and say a fan, they they just they have a good eye for this. Their their eye test is very good. They mm-hmm. see how a fight's sure sure, and and it's swaying. more than you're right. It's so, more than just seeing what happened. You're predicting the now future. while they're seeing that they may see uh, a line that's skewed in the way they don't believe it should to be. Mm-hmm. But now it's open scoring. The the, the capper uh, the 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 books know exactly what the line should be because they know exactly who's winning. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna you know have that uh that line to take advantage of. But you know what so, they can start doing if they have low open scoring and we know how rounds are scored is they can start taking bets real quick, live scoring on who's going to win the next round. Yeah, they can do that. Too. They can do that. There's whole new bets. There's all new ways for the, for oh, the house yeah. to always win. They People, will find a way. They always win. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Vegas still is there. And UFC would so. monetize it. I mean, here's the, <laughs> here's the fourth round score brought, brought to you by, you know, Coors or whatever. You know, not Coors because it's not Bodella. Yeah, DraftKings. It's, it's all over the place. It can be bet by, <laughs> brought to you by literally anything. And they, they'll make more money. You Mickey's? Know? Mickey. Mickey's malt liquor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring back Mickey's, right? <laughs> um, the only other thing I wanted to get to real quick at the very end, and this has been, I think this is possibly our longest show ever. And I think if, if there was ever a reason for it, it's this show. 
Yeah, it, it's it's years in the making. So. This, this is an important show for us to have. I think we're probably closing it on two hours. Um, presentations that I stayed for during the during the week that were um, less about you know immediate changes and more things for commission officials to hear. Look, a lot of the stuff that's presented is kind of dry. It is. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, a healthy mix of dry and extraordinarily interesting presentations. It was mm-hmm. it's there's not as much in the middle. It was there was. There was some stuff that felt kind of, and and maybe, and from what I hear is some stuff that gets presented every year and certain officials kind of roll their eyes at, right? But the, the need for it, um, to hear it every, especially the utility of what they're, what they are doing as commission officials. But there was some that I was particularly interested in. One uh, was focused entirely on weight cutting and, da- and data backing up the ideas of, of and I, I don't want to, I wouldn't try to summarize these because you can actually find these presentations on the ABC website. Uh, the PowerPoint slides, that kind of thing. There's video up. Um, one of them was taken down, unfortunately, because of the uh, UFC uh, footage. I hope they can find a way to get that back up, mm. whether it's getting permissions yeah, or, I, I or blurring like or something it, like so. that. Yeah, and, and this one in particular was the one that wasn't there. Is that weight cutting one that was presented by uh, a a British, uh, an English doctor named uh, Dr. Christopher Kirk, um, a big fight fan. Had some had some real interesting times uh, discussing fights in general and learning about what his research was and that kind of thing over the course of the days. Um, shout out to Dr. Kirk. Uh, but that that really I think that was one that it was a really it was a well presented presentation, but it was also a fascinating one about the how how much fighters don't just don't recover in 24 hours. Or three hours before a fight, right? Mm-hmm. How much strength is down? How much testosterone is down? All these things, and and it becomes kind of about the the risk management of how much weight you are going to cut, right? For every for as much uh, you know body mass you you cut, percentage of body mass you cut as you get higher, it, you know changes everything, right? I I'm summarizing distinctly because I don't want to you know mischaracterize, and I think it's better to just if you can hear the presentation. I would like to see. Dr. Kirk be able to get on a different platform, someone with a lot bigger than just the room of commission officials um, and anyone who's maybe listening to the live feed to really hear uh, this presentation because I thought it was fascinating. That was that was the one that stuck out. There is was it, what's that? Is oh, that yeah. the one that uh, showed just how much more weight MMA fighters cut compared to other sports? Yes, is that the same one? That was part of it. Yep, absolutely, okay. and it, it really illustrated the, the distinct um, the distinct gap in terms of how much mass is cut. Uh, he measured in kilograms, as yeah. as they would do, you know, in a lot of countries, not except ours, right? Um, <laughs> but the 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 thing the thing that had occurred to me as I was listening and as I was processing what I heard later is it's almost like MMA took like the absolute worst parts of cutting weight for boxing and cutting weight for MMA, or excuse me, for wrestling, right? Because wrestlers will cut a lot of weight. And then they'll rehydrate and they'll fight that day a few hours later or something, right? But boxers, maybe they don't cut as much weight as some other sports. Some do, but they will fight 24 hours later so they can get a little bit lower maybe and then rehydrate and have more time to do that kind of thing, thinking that they've got enough. Boxing or MMA kind of took both ideas and said, hey, we've got a bunch of wrestlers who are going to cut deep weight, but now they've got even more time to recover. It's like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> Boxing has so many weight classes, though. It does. That aren't, it does. That aren't too far apart. Sure. And so does MMA. They just aren't typically used. Not as many. So Not as many, even. Like, they have... So 165 and 175 are on the books. Sure. It just, it just doesn't happen. Boxing, at the lower weights, I mean, some of them are only yeah. like four pounds apart. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which is... 
Look, when, when Dana starts complaining about boxing, I have too many weight classes, and he points to that, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. We're talking about 10 pounds apart. It's just a very different thing, but that's not really the, the here nor there. Um, did you have any other questions about that? Because I did just want to mention real quick before we, we kind of shut no, down. No. Um, the, the There was a, present, or the, a presentation on transgender athletes as this is just something that commissions are going to have to kind of figure out. And it was possibly, uh, probably as uh, respectful responses, uh, let's say um, outside of the people who were grumbling to themselves and making cracks and things like that to the people next to them. Uh, it was as civil as I could have possibly imagined them having a conversation about this controversial topic, which, you know, let, let's say probably doesn't lean the same way as many people in the room politically. But having said that, it was it was just interesting to see them have an interesting, calm discussion about it. Andy Foster in particular really just said, like, listen, just be respectful. That was really all he was saying when, when he more or less got up there and just show respect for other people. And that was that was really it. They don't no one seems to have an answer for what you do with combat sports and transgender athletes. We haven't had too many. There's not a whole lot of data. Um, and I don't think anybody has that answer particularly yet. I won't get deep into it. I'm sure you don't want to, but it's not going away. The, the, the idea of how to um, license and handle yeah, transgender athletes. I'm just glad I'm not a uh, who has to make that decision. Good thing you're not a commission official. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I, I don't even know where to begin. So. I, yeah. I mean, but I would echo Andy's sentiments and just be respectful. Absolutely. Um, we're all people, right? Um, that that there was a, about boxing uh, deaths, fatalities. They studied that over the last twenty years, and it kind of looked at different weight classes and where they were more prevalent, what rounds these happened in, that kind of thing. It was a, a lot of interesting data to come out of that. Um, they you know they limited it to a certain number. You know, it was like it was specifically brain trauma caused, and there was only one female fatality, so they kind of excised that one just because they wanted to focus on men. They had more data with men, um, that kind of thing. So. Mm. Um, it was a lot of interesting stuff. I could go on and on and on, and I won't. But I, uh, I would like to stress again, if I didn't already, and I'm pretty sure I did. If you're media, you really got to go to this at some time, at least. You, you, a lot of it's streamed, but then you can talk to officials after. You, they're in the room with you. You can find out things. You can ask questions. You can learn about it, and it's really important to do that as a media member. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of lecturing media members right now, and I, and I don't mean to do that thinking I'm better, but I'm just telling you from experience, there's a lot of benefits to doing this, to going to this thing. It's in, it may be in Las Vegas next year. It's a lot of, a lot of media based in Las Vegas. If you can't get, if you can't go to that, if you don't want to go to that, like, I'm sorry, I don't know when you're going, but you, you really should. I'm going. Yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see if I'm able to get out there. I, I would like to, but I mean, realistically, it's hard for me to, to make the time to go every year based on the way I tend to cover the sport for my outlet. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I guess that, that's probably it, right? I think that's it, sir. Yeah, that's thanks to Mike Mazzulli and ABC. Yes, so. uh, we we would be remiss not to say thank you to uh, Mike Mazzulli for making it so easy for Dan and I to go out um, to attend the judging, to attend all these functions, to cover it. I mean, it was it was a sm I don't want to I don't want to be overly you know gushing over this, but but it was Mike has been saying for a long time to a lot of media members, hey, like I've been I've been trying to get media out here a long time, and no one comes. We had a lot of people ask us, like, "Hey, are you are you getting anything out of this? Are you learning this? What do you think of this experience?" I had so many people ask mm -hmm. me this question. I was like, "Yeah, I think it's I think it's very fascinating. You know, I learned a lot. I think it's important." Yep. And, and and again, thank you to to everybody who was accommodating, everyone who was willing to speak to me in person, in private, um, publicly. All same friendly. to you, I'm sure, right? Yeah, Especially every, every, for the officials and and judges and referees that you spoke to. Yeah, everyone, they were all super friendly. Yeah, so thanks to everybody, and 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 best of luck as they hopefully steward this sport into you know. 
the best ways possible. And that does it for this uh, epic episode of uh, the Couchside Judges. We'll be back again on Monday to break down UFC 279? 277, sir. 277, yeah. yeah Losing track of numbers, yeah. We, I, we might even have a special guest there. We've got some ideas, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Ooh. Tune in. News to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend.